You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Seeking Excellence Podcast. This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, your host. And I'm joined today by my new friend, Cody Burns. Cody, how are you doing, my man? I am doing great because I'm with you. That's I'm excited and happy to be here. This is going to be fun. Great. Yeah, we've been talking about this, man. I just put up the Instagram messages from, from May. So it's like this is like seven months in the making, you know. Uh, and I'm definitely not the, the world's best communicator, so... Uh, there's no doubt that I played a, a strong role in our procrastination oh getting here. But <laughs> well, Lord, I mean, we're here. That's it, man. That's it. I right there with you. I'm excited. Yeah, we made it. Well, great. So I'd love to hear. You know, uh, first I, I obviously know a, a decent bit of your story, not not a ton, but um, have been reading about it. You know, listening to some of your talks and things like that. And so I'd love to hear. Uh, obviously, the whole tale and like you know, really what you're passionate about. You're speaking about the Cody Burns Foundation. But tell us a little bit first about who you are, you know, your life growing up. You just told me a little bit about growing up in the great state of Indiana. So share a little bit about your, your background and where you come from. That's it. Well, I appreciate it, Nathan. I am excited. Uh, growing up in southern Indiana, right out in the middle of a cornfield, and, and I'm not exaggerating. And so, you know, they always say, you know, you're children of the corn, like that old Stephen King film. Right. Uh, and uh, that is the truth. Like nothing to do but wild imagination, country kid great family and at a young age i became very fascinated not so much with sports but with the entertainment industry and one particular area and it was the circus world and really? i was exposed to that as a little boy family took me to the circus had a lot of fun there was one act that i was like i dig this i love it this performer comes out to the center stage he is throwing all these objects into the air and he's catching them. And then the applaud is, or sorry, the people are just applauding, going crazy, especially the girls. And I'm thinking, I want this guy's job. I want his job. He's got it going on. And it was the juggler. And so after I left the circus, I told mom and dad, I said, I want to learn how to juggle. And so I, you know, honed in on it and I taught myself. And a couple of years later, I would go to a kid's camp and this was a Christian uh, uh, camp. And like most camps, there's activities during the day, lake to swim in. But there was a camp speaker at nighttime. And he also had a special skill to go along with his message. And it was juggling. So instantly, I'm just taken back. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be fun. I'm already doing the very thing this guy's doing. I'm interested in it. But as I'm sitting out there in the audience, I see that this guy was up on the platform not so much to receive self-glorification for his talents. He really wasn't up there for those purposes. It was up, he was up there to give us kids a message of hope. And he was using those skills as just a way to break the ice and draw us kids in. And something on the inside of me in that moment said that this is what you're called to do. And I believe it was God with all my heart. And so for all of or through all my young years, I honed in on those skills and I volunteered at my local church just nonstop. Um, doing stuff. And I uh, was one of those unique kids, um, you know, wanted to do, I started, actually started doing clowning too. Oh, wow. uh, I went to clown school and did a lot of fun stuff, the juggling, like that was a big part of my young life. And even after I got out of high school and I went to 
a ministry program in Rockford, Illinois, and I became a children's pastor. And then after that, um, at the same time of being a kids pastor, I should say, I traveled the country speaking at kids camps, conferences, and I was doing the very thing that I saw that camp speaker doing whenever I was a little boy. Yeah. So I was fulfilling that vision for my life. And it was very exciting. And I knew that somehow or another, God was going to take this to be an international ministry. And I was going to be helping a lot of people, bringing a lot of, uh, bringing the message of hope to thousands upon thousands. And I didn't quite comprehend how that was all going to happen. But, you know, I was making the most of it. Things was really taken off for me. In May, sorry, April of 2013, I just turned 23 at the time. I got back from doing a couple weeks of mission work in uh, Cuba. And, you know, I'm thinking, all right, it's finally starting to take off international. Mm. And then the next month, everything would kind of change for me. But I'll pause there and let you uh, ask questions and <laughs> make some remarks because I can keep going. Absolutely. No, that's great. I appreciate it, man. And so first, uh, I don't know which where to begin, but I think my first question has to be like, tell me about what's the structure of clown school? Like, what was the experience oh. of, of clown school? Oh. Like, is it like an eight, eight to five kind of thing or you got it, semesters it was. in class? It was. I mean, we wake up bright and early and we practice, you know, polishing our shoes, our big rubber shoes and Naturally. throwing pies. But it was actually- How to fit the nose uh, on, right? Exactly. It has to be just right. <laughs> and, you know, and I was one of those young kids too. Like I knew how to put makeup on before a lot of the girls that I went to school with did. <laughs> sure. Like, you know, I, and, and I'm confident enough in my, in my manhood to be able to say that, but I, uh, I had a lot of fun doing those things. And so at clown school, it was actually a couple of weeks. It was in Roanoke, Virginia. And the first time I went, I was 17. And then I went again the following year and I was 18 and I mean, they're bringing in clowns from all over the world. And I just had so much fun. I mean, we got clowns from South America, I mean, really? different parts of the US, Canada, and, and it's just a lot of talented individuals. And the ages were very, you know, like it was all over the place. I mean, anywhere from in their 18 to, you know, 60s, as right. you can imagine. And so, uh, but yeah, they taught us a little bit of everything. I mean, my big specialty was the juggling. And I, you know, I enjoyed being the, uh, one of those uh, young clowns that also, you know, did some, I got to do some circus work. It wasn't like I toured with the circus, mm -hmm. but I would do like what they call spot dates where, all right, people knew that I was a clown. I was a professional juggler doing comedy. And so I'd have some, you know, scouts, they would reach out to me and say, Hey, can you come to this city and do a show for us or a show with us. And then I would fly back home and be a children's pastor again. And so it was just a weekend wow. of fame, uh, if you will. So, but I, that was kind of my interest. I was young and uh, had a lot of energy and, you know, still do, but not as much as I once did, but sure. uh, yeah, that's kind of clown school, man. I mean, unicycling, makeup, balloons. We did practice pie throwing. Wow. Um, I mean, water spitting. I mean, it was just a very fun week of, of uh just clowning around doing yeah clowning around being <laughs> stupid <laughs> being stupid that's yeah. hilarious man that's awesome and so uh going a little bit deeper into that you said you know you had this desire to share a message similar to the guy uh that you had seen when you were a kid and so i'm curious first before we talk about that like this call you talked about you felt like god called you to do that and i think a lot of people in their lives hear people say that, you know, I've, I've always felt like I was really blessed in being able to hear God call me. And like in my discernment, I feel like was always very strong and clear in, in a multitude of different areas. Right. But what, what can you describe that at all from what you remember of that? Like when you say God called you like as, as specific or detailed as you can get, you know, like, was it a moment of prayer? Was it just like a really strong desire in your heart? Like what, what do you uh, like, what was that experience like for you when you felt like God's calling me to this and you followed that? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because that is a, a, a question in which a lot of people have. And, you know, a lot of people, they're still going their whole life and they're trying to find out what is it that God is wanting me to do. Yep. And, and, and for some people, it's just a matter of stepping out and finding out, you know, as you move forward, God will, will reveal things to you. And I knew I wanted to do evangelism. I wanted to travel and do all these things. But in that moment, as a little boy out in the audience, I was probably gosh, I want to say seven, eight years old, nine, maybe I, I just, I was really young, but it was during the altar time, you know, the, the uh, speaker, he, they, he kind of did what we would call in, in the Christian world invitation, 
mm-hmm. um, where people would come and they would pray and spend time alone with God. And it was just that moment of intimacy with him where I just, <clears throat> you know, really the, the message impacted me. And at the same time, it was, I knew deep down that I wanted to give my full life to him. Now, Granted, I mean, being a Christian, a follower of Christ, it is a matter of just surrendering everything over to him. But I knew that I wanted to do that by utilizing the skills that I had to further, you know, give him glory, help reach people. And uh, I just seen how everybody was being impacted. And I said, I want to be part of this. This is what I want. And, And but it was that small, still voice, I should say, the inner knowing of just I know that I know that I'm called to do this. And, and I pursued it. I mean, I, you know, I, I loved entertaining people. Don't get me wrong. I still enjoy that side of things, but that's only, that's a small portion of what I really wanted to do. And when I think the, the impact of the message was far greater than the impact of what he was doing from a skill standpoint, the skills will only get you so far. Um, but the right. message that he was delivering that hit home with me. And so it was just that inner knowing that this is what I'm going to be doing. I may not have a full idea on how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that I am going to go to church. I'm going to get to know God more, grow deeper in my walk, and I'm going to make the most of every opportunity. And I just volunteered at my church as a little kid. And I'm doing, you know, I was one of those kids that was entertaining the same kids that were my age. Um, And so I, just wanted to be involved, the leadership early on, uh, outreaches, community events. All right. You know, I, I was one of those, I was fortunate to be in a church that they allowed me to be able to do those things. I mean, put on the clown face, do makeup, balloons. And, right. you know, we'd go out in the streets and we just let people know that God loves them. And I, I'm very grateful for those experiences because it helped me grow and get to the place where I am today. It, it all had a part. Right. I think it's so, it's so good to hear that too. You know, I think a lot of times we get stifled and people who are very eager and there can be, there can be a prudence to that, right? Like people who have had a conversion experience and like some people want to lead right away and and speak and do a bunch of things that they're not really well formed, you know? And so there can be a danger in that, but there is also like a certain level of trust, both in God and in people to allow people to, to, you know, use their energy and their passion and, and, you know, um, and to build upon that and to go out and share and use their talents and gifts in unique ways to, to share the gospel with people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it is a matter of God just forming you. And, and, and to be honest with you, I still just find him doing that even today. I mean, there's, I think any, any form of leadership, you know, it, it's a role of responsibility, but at the same time, you always have to understand that it's not about you. It's not about you. It's because I think we live in such a, a world today where people, you know, we see celebrities and especially on social media, you know, people with large follow. I mean, I'm, I have a large following myself and it's one of those things I always have to remind myself. I'm not here because of my own doing or my own skills or what have you. It's truly by the grace of almighty God. And at any time, at any given time where I think otherwise, that's where God will humble me quickly. And right. there's always something I'm just like, okay, thank you, God, for that reminder. I can't do this without you. And, and in my young years, I had to really go through a stage of just being humble because growing up doing leadership things in the church, I was a lot more uh, advanced, if you will, and, and some of the knowledge and the skills and, and the, the language within the church. And then after high school, when I went to that program in Rockford, Illinois, I was very humbled because I had kids that were my age telling me what to do. And I had to be submissive. Mm. And, and, and it was really the, that, that process of just like, okay, you know, it, what, what's the ultimate mission here? It's not about me. It's about God. All right. What can I learn in this season? Right. Uh, it was very humbling, but I think that's important to anyone that wants to be on a platform um, or is going to be in leadership. Yeah. Yeah. The humility to learn how to follow, obviously you learn how to follow God, but also you have to learn how to follow the people sometimes in life, obviously. Right. We can't, uh, you know, be the, be the commander of everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or just yeah. even, even finding compromise too. Like now, you know, we were talking before starting about both being engaged 
Um, and even just finding that, right. Like learning how to obviously having strong personality. I think we both have strong personalities, you know, and like are inclined to leadership. Like you seem like me, I always think that I'm like the type of person when you're in a room or even just like in a group, right. Like a group of friends and people are being indecisive. Like I'm the one that'll come in and be like, all right, you know, like, what do people want? Like, this is kind of what we're weighing the pros and cons of each, like, let's decide, right? Like, I like to <laughs> be the encourager to be like, let's, let's step up. Like this room needs leadership. Like, let's do it. Uh, you have to have that humility, that forming of that. How, like, I mean, it's so helpful right now, like in a relationship and you're merging two lives together into a marriage, like you have to be able to pull that back a little bit, you know, and like concede your way sometimes, even if you think that your way is best, or if you think that you're right, or you know what I mean? Like that humility oh, yeah. goes a long way, man. That it does. And, uh, you know, my fiance, um, and I think it's just, I don't know if it's a woman thing or what, but she's, you know, she said, you know, you know, Cody, you may be right, but remember my missus always right. And, and so she's at an early age or, or, or early stage, I should say, um, she's already trying to like groom me for that. And I'm thinking, right. oh, my gosh. <laughs> brilliant this is wonderful so That's always funny. being humbled yeah which we need you know you need that you can't have too much of it mm. well that's great man i appreciate that and i think it's, it's beautiful obviously to see that you had this desire from such a young age to share a message of hope with people and then uh you know obviously god causes certain things i think it's easy to create kind of our own plan or think that we have a plan that is god's plan you know and, and kind of vision for our future and our lives um and i think it's interesting to see now how uh, God has used that original kind of like planted seed of like sharing a message of hope, but obviously threw you a huge curveball where you pause in the story. So I uh, just invite you to, to go back, dive back into the life-changing events. Yeah. And so it was May, 2013. I mind you, I was just turned 23 in April of 2013 and fulfilling that plan that um, God had placed on my life, that, that vision of giving hope to people, excited, young in ministry, traveling the country at the same time, doing weekly uh, church services to the kids um, in our community. And so then out of nowhere, life just drastically changed. And I was stopped at a red light. So I'm, it was a Friday afternoon. Um, I had a meeting actually that morning at a university. I was going to be doing a comedy juggling performance there the following weekend. And the meeting went great. I was all excited, driving back to my church office, stopped at a red light on Highway 41 in southern Indiana. And it was like 12, I think 1245 or something, the police report says. And everything goes black. Just black almost as if i didn't exist and it is the most unusual feeling to try to describe to people but i remember driving but technically i don't even i don't even remember being stopped at the red light so everything that i share is from police reports first responders and witnesses mm. but what i am told is that i was stopped at this red light behind a van and i was rear-ended by a refrigerator box truck that was going full highway speed. It did not stop. So when the box truck hit my Dodge Durango, that's what I was driving that day. My Dodge blew up into flames, um, a complete fireball. And my Dodge pushed the van that was in front of me to one side of the intersection. Meanwhile, the box truck push, pushed my Dodge into an, an embankment. And those that seen it, uh, everyone, they just could have sworn that I was dead. And then when the fire department came and all the other first responders, just by the looks of the wreck, they said, it's a fatality. They had said, whoever's in this Dodge, they didn't know who I was. They didn't even know what kind of vehicle it was because it was just so unrecognizable. They said, this person's dead. So they were taking all of their energy, helping the person that was in the van that was in front of me, helping her out of the van, which I'm glad that, you know, she's okay, fortunately. Um, but it wasn't until they saw my hand move that they changed their plans. The driver of the truck that hit me, he was fine. He was fine. The lady in front of me, fortunately, she was okay. I was left for dead. And I think there's a message in that because I think a lot of people 
whether they are just, just common folks or they're leaders, what have you, there's moments and times in our life where we find ourselves and everything that we're doing that just comes to an, an immediate stop, something that we did not expect. And this was certainly something I didn't expect because I'm doing everything in my power to, to fulfill that vision that I thought God was, well, I know that God has called me to do. And then bam, here I am at this red light. And now all of a sudden I'm in this Dodge Durango, it's engulfed in flames and I'm left for dead. And I think there's a lot of people, they, they may find their entire life come to a stop. They're in a difficult situation. The heat of life is just surrounding them. Maybe that's a divorce. Maybe it is a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's um, a financial situation that comes on suddenly. The list could go on. And in those moments, we're trapped and we wonder, what's next? Where will we go from here? And might I just say that if you put your complete trust in God, and at the same time, trusting in God is, is super important, but it's also important that you do a little movement on your part. Now, I don't remember the wreck. I don't remember moving my hand. I truly believe with all my heart, God intervened in that moment. And because he intervened and he moved my hand, the first responders saw that I was alive. And if they hadn't seen me move, I know for a fact I would have been burned alive that day. So because of that little bit of movement, it changed everything. So I encourage all, all those listeners and viewers, and I just ask of you, what can a little bit of movement do for you and for your situation? If you find yourself at such a place where life is stopped. So they, uh, back to the story, they saw my hand move. The first responders, it took them a good hour to get me out of this thing. They told me later on that I was talking to them. I told them who I was, where I worked. I don't remember none of this. So it's amazing oh. how the body works. They put me on a stretcher. They life flight me to a hospital in Evansville, Indiana, which is the southern part of the state. Then they redirected me to Indianapolis, Indiana, to the burn unit. And there I was put into a coma on full life support for three weeks. So the last thing I truly remember, I was driving. Everything goes black. Three weeks later, I'm waking up out of a hospital uh, or in the hospital in a bed out of a coma to only be told what had happened to me. And it was very frightening, but I'll pause there. Cause I, once again, I can keep going. <laughs> no, I believe it. I'm sure you've told the story many times now. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, that, that's intense, you know, to, to think about uh, the, obviously the beauty of, of that little hand movement and what these little things, you know, I love what you said there about what can a little movement do in your life. And, and just made me think about, you know, it was almost like just a little movement too, and like reaching out for help. Right. Mm -hmm. And like one, not giving up on yourself, but two, like reaching out for help, uh, which I think so many people find themselves, as you mentioned, you know, in all those different dark situations and circumstances um, and, and just how powerful that is. But yeah, I think it's, it's crazy to think about how much obviously life can change in just an instant, like for you just be sitting there and just out of nowhere, you know what I mean? Like everything just goes black and you don't wake up or have any recollection for weeks you know, uh, is really precious. I think, especially in this time, man, of like people live in fear, you know? And so I have a lot of questions I'll ask you afterwards. I don't want to interrupt too much in the middle of this, but I think there's something for people to think about in that, uh, before we get back to it, it's just like, we live in this fear, you know, I think one of the, like, it's kind of like a dark humor kind of joke of, of 2020 and 2021 is like, everybody's so like afraid of, Everybody be like, well, I don't want to die. And like, the reality is you are going to die, right? Like a hundred percent of us, a hundred percent of human beings die. Right. And you could really die at any point. So we always, we have to have this balance in the midst of a pandemic or whatever it might be. Right. Or this fear of, of driving or all these different things that, that threaten our lives on a daily basis of saying, you know, I still, you still have to live in the midst of all of this fear and all these things that could end up taking your life. And so um, yeah, just a powerful witness to that, you know, of how close we can all come to, to not being here tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Life is, is so uncertain. And I think as a young man, 
that was, you know, grew up in that I grew up in church doing all these things and I'm not perfect by any means. I wasn't then ain't now, but you try to do everything right. And then thinking, Oh, that'll never happen to me. Even though we know problems exist and tragedy can hit at any given moment, we kind of get a little naive and we're like, ah, you know, I'm young, full of life and energy. Nothing like that will ever happen. Right. And bam, 23 years old, completely healthy. Next thing I know, you know, I'm in a coma and, you know, I, I mean, and I had severe injuries and I remember being awakened um, to the voice of my family, uh, voices of them. I always talk about the story of my mom in particular. And mom, she was there and she said, you know, Cody, you were stopped at a red light. Your vehicle exploded into flames. You have been here in this burn unit in a coma and full life support. You have severe burn injuries. Your recovery isn't going to be an easy journey. But no matter what, Cody, do not lose sight of your vision. Your worldwide ministry has begun. And those words, they meant the world to me in that time, and they still do now. And I think about in life when everything falls out from underneath us, when we find ourselves, you know, wondering what's next, it's important that we have people in our life to remind us not to lose sight of what is most important. And my mom certainly was that for me. And me as a speaker, And a a leader, if you will, one of my big things is just simply to remind people that, you know, understand that, you know, yeah, life is short. There's times where everything can be uncertain, but put your hope and trust fully in God and know that he knows the beginning and he knows the end. Therefore, we can trust him. Mm -hmm. We can trust him and know that he's got it. And, and, And to our benefit, we, we know that there is life after death. And and so the time that we have here on this earth, it's very precious. We want to make the most of it. There's a powerful uh, quote that I I love saying it's, it's life is short. Death is certain, but eternity is long. Mm -hmm. And so you got to know where you're spending eternity. And when you live with that mindset, it makes all the struggles of this world, not as burdensome, if you will. It's, it's a lot, you're more at ease because you know that, God's got this. God's got right. this. And, and so in the burn unit, two and a half months, I had severe burn injuries, broken vertebrae, torn ligaments, had a blood infection, pneumonia, a lot of hurdles, a lot of bad things happened to me in that time period. My family certainly has their story. After I got out of the burn unit, I had another six weeks of um, rehabilitation where I had to relearn to walk, I had to relearn to use my hands. And then I had another almost two years of nonstop outpatient physical and occupational therapy, just to get to a place where I could be somewhat independent again. Uh, My injuries were severe, but the most severe was the burn injuries. And I had second degree burns on my face. Second degree burns do not scar. Then I had third degree and I had fourth degree burns. And I never knew there was such a thing as a fourth degree burn. Me neither. Um, and so it's, uh, it's interesting how that works. A fourth degree is it burns through all of your fat cells down to bone and muscle. And in some cases, it requires amputation. They actually wanted to amputate three of my fingers. Um, they were able to save them. They don't move like they used to, but I make the most of what I can do. And that in of itself is a powerful message for people. Um, so... I'll pause there because I can, I, I mean, this conversation go a million ways. I'm ready for anything and everything. Sure. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So I think, you know, going back to what you were saying too, of like, obviously we have like the, the invincibility mindset of youth, right? Like when we're in your twenties, like you feel like I'm never going to get hurt. Like nothing can touch me. So why so many young people are like, don't get health insurance. Right. Like, so they're like, I'm not going to get <laughs> sick. I'm not going to get hurt. Right. And, and I think not only that though, man, but you had the added you know, maybe false sense of confidence. I would assume all of us have that, like, try to live life right. You know, mm-hmm. like I did a podcast on this, like maybe two months ago. I was just like, how hard it is when you feel like you're trying to do things the right way, right? Like you're a child pastor, you have this message of hope, you're sharing it, you're putting your life and heart into this, um, into serving God. And you had been for that point for like 15 years. And so like, how do you, it's, it's very similar. I think, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about, has the book, The Problem of Suffering and Mm-hmm. Many philosophers and theologians over the years have tried to address this, but like, 
did you experience I, I mean i feel like you had to unless you're just like straight saint level like walking on water at this point <laughs> you had to at least have moments of like being pretty pissed off you know what i mean like mm. i'm sure you did you it seems obviously that you didn't go full despair and discouraged you know indefinitely but you had to have some moments of like what the f you know what i mean like, like dude, oh, this is a horrible with, deal you know like so absolutely tell, yeah so talk to me a little bit about that and how you overcame that yeah and and, and i'm glad you you took it this way because this is a big thing for um, a, a lot of people um a lot of Christians. people with much lesser yeah. oh trials you know what i mean man, but but i mean but it, i mean it's accurate and we're human and, and in that moment i did i had some i had whenever i came out of a coma i'm like I'm thankful that I'm alive, but at the same time, I'm like, well, what the heck? This was not what I envisioned for myself. This wasn't part of the plan. You know, I thought God wanted me to give hope to people, encourage people. And then here I am, you know, scarred, mangled, you know, depending on these nurses to, you know, bathe me, you know, help me heal. And it's like, this is so far left field. And I did. I wondered why, you know, why would a loving God allow me to go through such pain and suffering? And I'm glad you brought up C.S. Lewis because I'm a big fan of his work and he's got yeah, some he's great, great. Good, good quotes and stuff out there. But and I studied some of the things that he had written and, and I really had to dive in to uh, uh, there's a topic in the Christian world called apologetics and, and mm-hmm. really understand why bad things happen in today's world. And, you know, why God allows pain and suffering. And it it wasn't easy because, you know, growing up, you always hear the motivational messages. You know, we, we love those messages that you can, you can accomplish the world. You can do anything, you know, the, the popular, I can do all things to Christ, (laughs) which can often be taken out of context, Uh, but I would say 99% of the time probably. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, you know, we're, we're human. We want to believe the best, but then bam, you know, here I am. I'm like, why is this going down? And I had a lot of pastors and mentors relationships that I had established before all this happened. And I'm grateful that I did because they was able to mentor me and guide me through that time period where I was just struggling to believe, you know, why this happened to me. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't really mad, but I was certainly, well, I did have some angry moments. I'll say that not necessarily God, but just at the situation and just like, this is so irritating. And I had a lot of moments where I just didn't seem like I was much of a Christian and and I'm human and I'm not afraid to say that. Right. Um, Because I, and I'm grateful that we serve a God that is not intimidated by our humanity. Um, He knows we're human. We have emotions. We get angry. We get upset. We get sad, depressed, but one of the, the most impactful phone calls I had was with one of my mentors, uh, Dave Reaver. He served in Vietnam. He's also a burn survivor. And he shared with me the story uh, or his story. You know, he went to throw a hand grenade, sniper shot it, blew up all over his body, wow. got severe burn injuries. And his, the, the quote that someone shared with him Man. is, you know, Dave, God did not do this to you, but he allowed it to happen because he could trust you with the scars. And I believe with all my heart that God did not do this to me. He allowed it to happen because he could trust me with the scars. He could trust me with the message. And so I could dive in deeper with that. I don't know how deep you want to take it. Um, But that is one of the things I certainly talk about in my book. For those that are curious to find out what I truly believe on that topic, what helped me gain, uh, I don't say, gain my trust back. That's not really the the appropriate thing, but just gain better understanding as to why these things happen. Yeah. I think it also is a testament probably to uh, how well-formed you were beforehand, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think one of the the lies and things that the devil really sneaks in and can manipulate people's mind when they're going through suffering is they have a false sense ahead of time. Is Mm -hmm. the devil, I think Satan really grooms people to think like, this is going to be easy forever. You know what I mean? Like once people are kind of like lost to conversion and I mean, lost, like I'm talking like screw tape letters type of loss, right? Like if you take it from like the devil's perspective, once it seems like people are kind of gaining ground in, in the faith, right. And like the, the Lord's winning over a person's heart and soul, 
uh, I think the devil can be like, oh, it's going to be great. Like they almost want you to experience a ton of consolation, right? Like you would think the devil would want you to just like ride this high forever and then it's crashing. And then they can just like the higher the fall, you know what I mean? The higher you go, the, the, the longer it is to fall. And so I think there's a certain, you know, manipulation that can happen in that as well, where like the devil can really get you in there. But when you know that, you know, and I just wanted to, to read it because you brought up Philippians 4.13, which I think is so great. And I've always shared this with people. But verses 11 and 12 set the context for 13. People skip that, right? Mm-hmm. And so St. Paul in, in Philippians 4, 11 says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You That's know, it. and yeah, and I love that. And I remember reading that because I, I read a lot of scripture, especially in college, and it was one of the first ones I memorized was those three verses, not just Philippians 4, 13, because everybody loves the cute, like, you know, Christ makes me a superhero and life's going to be all, yeah. you know, awesome and, and dandy from here on out now that I'm now that I'm a Christian. But the reality is like, yeah, it's going to be like, it is great. And like living life with Christ is the greatest thing you can do. Right. Uh, but it doesn't mean like, but St. Paul went <laughs> through it. You know, the guy who wrote that meant I can, I can like survive all things, right? Like I can suffer all things. Um, and come out on the other side and still be close to God. Because as he wrote, I think it's in Romans, right? Where nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, you That's know? It. Yeah. And, and I think when you recognize that going into to suffering, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it so that you're never discouraged. So I appreciate your transparency there. It doesn't make it so that you're never, even considering there's probably times in there. I know I've had times in my own life of suffering where you're like, man, it just almost be better if I was dead. You know, mm. like I just wish I had died in that accident. Or I died at certain points because like the suffering can get so dark and, and awful and, and difficult. Um, but when you know, going in, you know, that's why we have to debunk that lie for people to say, it's not like life is like, we're not in heaven on earth just because you've been baptized, right? Like yeah. you have to continue to fight. There's going to be difficulty. And sometimes it's going to be even worse for you because you decide to give your life to Christ. Like the, the attacks and, and the suffering and things like that can be, can be awful, but God can do a lot of redemptive stuff through that suffering. That's right. And, and, and you, and you hit it right on the head and, and I'm grateful that you, that you shared that because I think that's one of the biggest things that is lacking in today's world is that a lot of churches or pastors, ministers, priests, if they're not careful, they can run into this habit of just preaching always these positive messages, which there is positivity, but at the same time, we have to understand that being a Christian isn't always uh, a bed of roses. And a lot of these men and women we read about in the Bible, and you mentioned Paul, Paul, one of the, one of the greatest uh, heroes of faith, but he went through it. He was persecuted. He was, you know, he was stoned. I mean, the man went through it. Yep, imprisoned. But, and and, and he, he pointed out in that, you know, whether I have little or I have much, no matter what, God is enough. And through Christ alone, I can do all things. I've got life because I know who holds my future. Right. And I have peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And when you grant, when you grasp that, that's what really just helps you in life. That's what helps. That's what will throw people off that are people that aren't Christians. Yep. And they're like, well, how can this person be living his life in such a positive way? Because it, they've, they've gone through all these difficulties and yet they're still they seem to be doing okay. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, because they know who holds their future through Christ. Mm-hmm. They truly can do all things. And they may be, you know, they may not have a lot to their name. They may not have a lot of money they may not have popularity, but they got faith and they got Jesus. They got God. That's what matters the most at the end of the day. And so um, that's powerful. I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that does need to be debunked and, and people need to fully grasp that, being a Christian uh, doesn't mean your life is going to be easy. Doesn't mean you're going to, you know, be a multimillionaire and have all your, you know, w- wishes come true. God is not a genie. Uh, we are, right. we, you know, we are to submit to His will. He's not to submit to our will. Um, he's God. We are not. Yeah. And, and 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 so the Christian life is truly a life of surrender and just trusting in Him. And it's that relationship. Um, and, and that's that too is kind of where you can really dive in deep to the apologetic side of things. God is sovereign; He is in control, but yet at the same time, He allows us as humans to have free will to be able to make choices. Now, 
mind you, once again, it, God is sovereign. God does see everything and he can yeah. do anything he wants. And we are operating on his time clock. But at the same time, he gives us somewhat of an ability to make decisions. And because we can make decisions, you know, we sometimes make good decisions and we sometimes make bad decisions. And when humans make bad decisions, well, that's how sin entered the world. Um, you go right. back to the very beginning of time. And so why does evil exist? Well, because there is an enemy, the devil. He seeks to, you know, destroy everything that God wanted. And so it, it's about just trusting in him and having that relationship and, and being obedient, even when it doesn't make sense, trusting in God, even when it doesn't make sense, despite your will, understand it's not about you never will be. It's about him. And we get to be uh, and, and, that, and that's a blessing. We want it to be that way. And, yeah. and so, yeah, I can rattle for days on that topic, but sure. Yeah. No, it's important, <laughs> man. No, I appreciate it. I think it, it reminded me of uh, the GK Chester, Chesterton quote that Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, so many people have that experience where, you know, especially I always, I always talk about this in the Catholic world. So many people who like go to Catholic school growing up or even Protestants who, who were raised, like going to church and they've never really tried the Christian life. Right. Mm -hmm. But they've kind of dabbled in it enough that they have this false sense of confidence that they've given it a shot. And then they were like, I don't need to do that anymore. And you see so many people who are falling into like the religion we call like the nuns, right. N O N E S uh, no religious affiliation. I just saw an article. We shared it. I worked for a, a Catholic prayer app called hallow. And so we, we share articles and things like that trends of society. And somebody shared uh, an article yesterday that talked about the increase uh, decrease in people affiliating themselves with Christianity increase with no religious affiliation. And you also see this increase, especially amongst young people, our generation, the generation below us, the Gen Z of this like affiliation with socialism. And I think one of the things you see with socialism compared to Christianity is that in socialism or like the government's always telling you like, I'll fix all your problems, right? Like you can, like this utopia on earth can exist. And so people that dabble in Christianity and find, find I'm still suffering, life is still hard, but they've never really formed the relationship with Christ. It's enough that will sustain them through that suffering. You know, when you have this, this false twisted message from the world that, you know, there's people oppressing you and we can solve that. And all, the government will come in and fix your issues. Uh, how appealing that is for people, right? To be like drawn into this utopia here on earth that really can't exist, definitely can't exist without God, right? Like we are meant to experience a foretaste of heaven here on earth, but only through the grace of God, it'll never happen through government. But people get so manipulated and twisted to think that, no, actually abandoning God and allowing the government to solve my life issues will, will be the solution. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with, with everything you just said, because, and that is the downfall is that people, <laughs> they put their hope and trust in other things uh, besides God. And that just sets up, uh, it sets, sets people up for disaster. Massive failure. <laughs> and so they oftentimes don't realize what they're asking for. And, you know, God, God never promised us an easy life. You know, God makes it all plain and in the open. But at the same time, he promised that he would be with us through it all. Right. And that in the end, if you put your complete trust in him, we are guaranteed eternal life. And, you know, we can live a good life here on earth, but oftentimes what we as humans define as good, isn't what God defines as good. Right. Uh, and a lot of people say, well, you know, a good life is, you know, having all my wishes come true. Well, <laughs> depending on what your wishes are, some people's wishes aren't so good. Exactly. Um, you know, we, we're, we're human at the end of the day. And in, in the end, we are all in need of a savior. And so um, in the end, God just wants us to understand that he loves us. He cares about us. And in the end, we truly can put our trust in him. And he understands things that we do not. He knows our tomorrow. Therefore, we we can truly, you know, understand that he's got it. But uh, I, I agree, For you know, sure. people, if they're not taught things, if they're not taught the truth up front in our generation, because there are so many uh, larger platforms, mega churches, different yeah. motivational speakers, more so than pastors. And, and, and I have to be careful because mm -hmm. I, motivational speaker in the corporate world, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, 
I, in my book, I, my hope and prayer is that people understand that, you know, who I am and try to gain some truth and understanding of who God is. Yeah. But it's when they hear all these good messages, upbeat messages, and they're not really being told the truth, then they're like, well, hold up. This isn't what I was taught in church. They didn't teach me this. They said, yeah. I could do this. I could, you know, he has plans to prosper me, not to harm me, give me a hope in the future. I can, right. I can do amazing things. This isn't what God, this isn't what I learned in church. Therefore, yep. like, all right, I no longer want to be part of Christianity. I'm yeah. going to go. I'm not prospering. So yeah, this I'm going to see didn't and, work. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to join in with, you know, socialism thinking, all right, well, the government can fix it. Exactly. Tried, you know, tried, tried the Christian thing. It's not working out for me. So I'm going to try something else. Yeah, it's so easy to hone in on, you know, Jeremiah 29 or uh, Philippians 4.13 and to take those kind of prosperity mindsets into things. But what's interesting is like if you read, if you actually read scripture, if you read the gospel, uh, like Jesus like promises us suffering and then provides us with heaven right at the end versus like socialism or the government will promise you heaven or utopia and then just provides you with suffering, right? Like I'm reading <laughs> Live Not By Lives by live not by lies by Rod Dreher right now. And uh, he talks about that. Like every, like we look at Cuba, um, you look at uh, Venezuela, you look at Soviet Russia, like they all promise so many of the things that we see our government promising us now, free education, free healthcare, free everything, right? Everything is going to be free. All your needs are going to be provided for. And then all it provided people with was suffering, starvation, torture, death, you know, um, persecution, and especially the church. And so it's really tragic to see that, but you see that, that that's like the, the cap, you know, if you hit the combined or, or uh, juxtapose Christianity and, and government, especially socialistic governments or communistic governments, Marxism, is that Christianity promises you suffering and then rewards you with heaven. The government, socialistic governments promise you heaven and then provide you with hell, uh, which is a hell, a hell of a trade, you know, and a pretty shitty one um, in the long run. But I want to dive back in uh, to your story and ask you a question here. And obviously you can share as much as or little as you want, but like another really difficult thing, not just the problem of suffering, but dude, like, have you ever met the driver of the truck mm -hmm. or like, what is your relationship even just like long distance or mentally with that dude, like the journey of forgiveness, if you've gotten to that point or like, like, yeah, just tell me something to, like, how do you view him now or, or her or yeah, whatever? Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's a big question that I often get with the story and, and it's understandable. And so, and to be honest with, with you, there's still to this day been no contact. He's never reached out. Now I haven't reached out to him. I do realize that it's more at this point, here we are, we're going on nine years next year. Since this all happened, it's going to take me reaching out to him. Um, yeah. and just letting him know that I truly do forgive him. Now that, that took time. Um, oh, that's bet. where I stand. Now my family, they have their own side of the story and you know, they still, I think it's still a touchy subject for them, but in the beginning it was, it was touchy for me. And I'm thinking, you know, this big, here I am, I'm scarred and I'm wounded because of this individual's poor choice. I think a lot of people in today's world find themselves scarred and hurt because of other people's poor choices. And sometimes it, people are scarred and hurt because of their own poor choices. Absolutely. They can go either side. And so then there's like the time of, or the, uh, the question of, do I forgive this person or do I forgive myself? And so with my situation, I had to practice forgiving this driver. And uh, a lot of that boiled down to, I know in my heart, I've forgiven him and that I forgive him, you know, years ago. Um, even though I've never verbally talked to him, um, I do hope and pray that someday I will. And I think that's a powerful piece of the story that has yet to happen. Um, but I know that I had to forgive, not so much to say I condone his behavior because I don't or what he did. Um, I had to forgive more so for myself and moving forward. But as Christians, we also have to understand that, you know, we have uh, we have a Savior. I'll just put it this way. We have a Savior that he took punishment upon his body, and he died for our sins. And he was, he was flawless. Jesus was without sin. He was God in, in the flesh. And still, he took it upon himself 
to, to die, to suffer on our behalf, to take the wrath of God. Uh, and, and so that we can be forgiven. And I think it's a powerful story of God's redemption and love. And obviously we know Jesus is alive. He rose again, but Jesus still to this day, I believe he carries those scars from the nails. Uh, and those scars are a result of our poor choices. And that Jesus is the greatest example of, of love and forgiveness. And in the Bible, I mean, it's biblical. We, you know, in order to receive forgiveness, we have to forgive. Right. And if we truly want to model the life of Christ, we look at what he has done for us as an example. If he is able to forgive me of my poor choices, because I'm, I'm not perfect. The Lord knows I've got issues and I need his grace every day. If he can forgive me, then who am I not to forgive somebody else? And so that really helped me drain that journey. And I really had to look at the big picture. And in the end, the person that hit me, even though I don't agree and what he did was in the wrong, at the end of the day, he's still a person. And God loves him just as much as he loves me. God doesn't show favoritism. And so who am I to hold on to that burden for the rest of my life? Because God is still on the throne. I'm alive and God is still using me. Overall, the vision that I've always had for my life, wanting to give hope, tell the world that God loves you, it's still happening. And in fact, it's happening on a greater scale. And therefore, forgiveness, it, it is necessary. And so I just encourage all those that are watching and listening that if you find yourself in a place where you need to forgive somebody, I know it's not easy. Um, it's certainly no walk in the park. Um, but in the end, when you forgive, it allows you to be free, truly free of, of yesterday's troubles. And that's really another thing I like to teach about in my book is getting to the root of why you may be limited. I believe there's a lot of people that encounter scars in their life, not so much physical, but more so emotional. And those emotional scars, they stick with people. And scars, they're permanent. Um, however, I think it's important that if we're going to find freedom, we get to the root of what caused the scar. And for me, you know, I had to get to the root. What is it? that is causing me limitation. I knew that if I didn't forgive, it would have limited my mobility and how I function in my life and in my ministry. So I had to really set with myself, set with God, allow him to bring healing and restoration. I still have scars, but the scars don't have me. I control the scars and I move forward because I know that I've in fact forgiven and I know that God is still on the throne and that I show off my scars proudly because they're a story that is in the end, they're helping others. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm sure it had to be quite the journey, you know, just to even think about that person. And yeah, I can imagine your family. I think sometimes it's, it's easy for those who love us to be more offended and upset than, than we are. You know, I, I've had that experience before. Uh, a number of times. I think people experience that where they either go through a tough breakup or, uh, you know, I, I had a time where I got, it was like kind of a, a job situation, you know, and I felt like people were really mad at the organization. I was like, I, I mean, yeah, I think I got kind of, you know, some shady stuff happened or whatever, but like, I'm not that upset about it, you know, but you can see people that are more upset for you. So I'm sure that that had to make it almost even more difficult. I know my mom, if it would happen to me, like my mom, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm sure like your parents and family, it'd be so upset. And so that can almost make it harder too, at a certain point to be forgiving uh, because so many people around you are just like, you know, rightfully so blaming this person for all the suffering and, and difficulty you're going through. And yeah. so and it had to be challenging. Oh, and it was, I mean, my family, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're all uh, Christians, but we're, like I said, we're not perfect. People are um, human. Yeah. We, we, uh, you know, they, I, my family, they'll tell you, you know, my father uh, specifically, he's like, you know, one minute I'm praying for you, son, next minute I'm cursing the guy that hit you. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and so it's like, 
you know, those mixed emotions. And um, in the end, I know that my family, um, I, I believe that if they really, they, they would they even though it's still a touchy subject, I, I believe they do forgive them. I really yeah. do. Um, but however, in the end, I can't really truly answer for them. I just know for myself. Sure. And, um, but it can make it hard when you hear people yeah. talk and say some of the things they're saying. Yeah. It's difficult. It's wild, man. And so, yeah, I mean, I feel like we didn't even get to get through your whole story, but I want to give you time to, to tell us a little bit about <laughs> the book. Obviously you wrote the book and, and kind of tell me about, you know, as we wrap up here, like what, what inspires you to write the book and then obviously where people can find it and where we can learn more about the story and some of the other stuff you touched a little bit, but like what other things you cover in there that we haven't talked about today? Yeah. So it's, um, the, the name of the book is scar release breaking free of yesterday's troubles. I released this back in 2018 and it took me about a year to kind of, you know, write it and go through multiple editing sessions. And, um, it, it's a very conversational book. It's not a long read. And so it's not intimidating. It is my first book and I'm grateful that I wrote it because of the things and the stories I hear of, people. And I, I wanted to write it, uh, not so much uh, about me, but it's truly helping people find themselves in the story. And so obviously, you know, this, the, the book kind of begins with me waking up out of a coma. And so it's my journey of just sharing, you know, how I got from there to where I am today. And I share my stories of how my faith was, you know, you know, hurt, or, or I should say not really hurt. It, it took a hit. And so what, lessons that I learned through that. And at the same time, um, the forgiveness is certainly something that I hit home on. And then just learning to love yourself despite the scars that you carry. Um, and then there's practical steps that people can take away and apply to their own lives. And so um, scar release is actually named after a surgical procedure that they do on burn survivors. As a burn survivor, I have contractual scars. And so in order to, and sometimes I'll just say this, cause I already kind of briefly touched on it already, but my uh, contracture scars, um, I have them on my hands, my arms, my entire left leg is scarred, right foot. A lot of my injuries, they're very sporadic on my body, but a contracture scar, when it occurs over the top of a joint, it can limit the mobility of that joint. And in order to free up the scar, you have to get to the root of the scar and it you know, and it frees you up, but a scar release procedure doesn't remove the appearance of a scar. It allows the mobility to move with the scar. Mm -hmm. And that's what I tried to help people understand is that get to the root of your problem, break free of it. But yet at the same time, understand the scar is still there. It's just a matter of not allowing that scar to keep you limited in your life. Um, because I think there's a lot of people that um, were injured or they were hurt back maybe even childhood or marriage or business the list could go on different joints and areas of our lives and if those problems aren't uh, or those scars if they're not properly addressed they can cause uh, a lot of damage not just to us but those that we you know surround ourselves with and so right. it's important that we break free of that uh, but the book is it's uh, available for paper on uh, paperback and it's also uh, digital and i've also got this book written in spanish it's been translated oh in spanish. awesome and so um yeah that's great it's a little and bit then, everything yeah i love it man thank you so much and so obviously I want to encourage everybody to go out and check out scar release and you want to tell us real quickly i know we're running out of time i'm sorry but about the the cody burns foundation Yes. Uh, Cody Burns Foundation. I formed that back in 2016, I believe. And uh, we've been able to help a lot of burn survivors and we've partnered with a couple of different organizations and it's still in the stage of, of developing um, and, and really just praying and seeing where God wants to take that. But we yeah, have yeah. been able to give uh, money to help the emotional support of other burn survivors and as well as helping medical research um, when it comes to burn injuries. And so burn injuries is certainly one of the most painful injuries a person can endure mm -hmm. and not just physically, but emotionally, um, because, uh, unlike, you know, a lot of injuries, um, you know, it's, it's something that sticks with you for life. It's a lifelong injury and it's something that can also be very visible on the outward uh, surface. Uh, there's a lot of survivors that have been burned on their faces and mm -hmm. you can imagine the, trauma that someone has to go through um, of trying to regain an identity, if you will, because right. now they look deformed. So faces, yeah. uh, 
Yeah. So it's, it, we've been able to help a lot of patients and still just kind of actively praying and seeing where God wants to take that. But, uh, um, you know, God has been very good to me in, in my life and my situation. And so I, I always, I look at my life as I'm blessed to be a blessing. I'm here, not just for myself. Once again, I'm here to serve. And so that's certainly a way that I love doing that. That's awesome, man. Well, so grateful for you, man. So grateful for your witness and, and just your, your courage to come out and share your story so often, so boldly. I mean, just the way that God's worked in your life, man. It's been awesome. This is great. I, I had a great conversation with you today. It's so, so much fun just chatting with you. I learned a lot from you today. So I appreciate your transparency and willingness to come join us on the podcast, man. Oh, man, it is my pleasure. And uh, thank you for what you are doing and what you're providing. And uh, yeah, it's exciting to see, man. And so I uh, pray blessings upon you and your soon-to-be wife. Thank you. Yeah, say to you. No, we'll be praying for you. And I just want to encourage everybody again, check out Scar Release. We'll have links to the book, links to Cody's Instagram, and uh, links to the website as well for people to check out. So we'll have all that attached there in the show notes. And just thank you so much, Cody, again. I want to encourage everybody out there to continue to fight hard to be your best. Strive to to be a forgiving person, to, to fight through the sufferings and challenges and adversity that life has for you. Um, because as we said, you know, God promises suffering, but he also promises us heaven at the end. So we're very blessed and uh, blessed to have you with us here today, Cody. And um, thank you so much again. Oh, thank you, man. My pleasure.